Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On May 16th, 10 storytellers shared their stories with our audience at Holyhound Tap Room in downtown York. Our theme for the evening was Music to My Ears. We heard stories about playing music, listening to music, meeting a rock and roll hero, and hearing the highly anticipated answer to a marriage proposal. Caleb Robertson won with his story about the dog that lived next door when he was in college. All right. So I had my first uh, 8 a.m. class my junior year in college. And having not had one of those before in college and not being a morning person, I like to milk every moment of that morning you can. So I was up at 7.45 and at school in my seat by 8. Alive, yes. Awake, probably not. And attentive, definitely not. And uh, it all worked out, though. Like, I was in the room. That's all you had to be, right? And it worked until my, my neighbor, he got a dog. And I love dogs. Like, we, we grew up with dogs. I had, I had two in a house at a time. They're, they become family members. I was a part of naming a few of them. And uh, we had this little puppy, Coco, when I was in middle school. And I spent the first night with her in the kitchen. And I, I cuddled with her. I made her feel home. And she shit everywhere. And I stepped in it. But I didn't care because I, I love dogs. Like, I love dogs. I love dogs. If you forget that I love dogs when I go on to the next half here, you're going to hate me. So just remember I love dogs. Uh, my neighbor's house, we live up in a hill, and I'm up in a farmhouse. Uh, I live in the uh, room was in the attic, and the windows are a bit lower to the ground, and through my attic window is my neighbor's backyard. And his backyard is a lot like an amphitheater. He has a, a backyard carved out into the hill, but then the rest of the noise at his backyard just fires up into my window. <laughs> just everything that goes on, it's, it's coming my way. And my neighbor didn't care about my 7.45 wake up. He liked to get up at 6.30 and let his dog out. But see, his dog would do a run of the yard, and then he'd gear himself up, and he'd put his paws down, and he'd stare at the door that just gave him his freedom. It was non-stop. This dog was relentless. It would not give in. And I'm just, what is happening? I, I wake up and you just stare at the window and you see this dog and it's a, a dog's bark. I get that, but not. I just can't get, I can't get over. I can't get over this. And it's in the morning. It's at night. A neighbor gets home at 5.30, lets the dog out. And again, it doesn't end. And, there's, and nobody else in the neighborhood apparently has a problem with it because every morning the dog does it for about 15, 15 minutes. Can you just, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait that long. And the dog, it, it, it's endless. And I try everything to stop hearing this noise. I wear headphones at night. I, I put pillows against the window. I put foam up there. Uh, I wake up to static noise because that is better than listening to this constant <laughs> rhythmic like dog, like keeping time. He's like a living metronome, just go, 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 go. 
And I get home this one night, and I know it, it's coming, but I, I want to stand my ground. Like, this dog's not kicking me out of my house. Like, this is where I live. And I go upstairs. I know it's, I know it's coming. I'm watching the clock tick to, to 5.30. And it hits. The dog goes outside. And you know what he does. Oh, I have to do it again. Uh, and, and he sits there. And then he keeps barking, and my anxiety is just building, and uh, I'm becoming that, if you can imagine that thermostat that, that fills up as you're getting your funding goal, like just filling with red, like it's just growing and growing, and it's going to burst, whatever the goal is. I didn't know what it was going to happen, but it was going to happen, and it keeps happening and happening, and I'm just filling, and you're probably annoyed just as much as I was, and he's keeps going and nobody is doing anything and this is like it this is weeks and months of this happening <laughs> if I just blow up I'm pacing and I get down on all fours and I go over to the window and I throw it up and I sit down and now I'm barking at this dog I have become the dog I Everything that I hated about him, I owned and I projected it. And, and I'm sure that there's a, a great rap to that, a, a psychological rap. But I don't know what it is. And I don't care about thinking about it. Because all I care about is the next morning, I woke up. And I didn't hear anything. Caleb earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is Melissa Snavely. Melissa remembered when, as a student at a public middle school, she also played in the band at a nearby private this is school. Melissa, everybody. When I was 13 years old, my family moved from Pittsburgh to a little town outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And when you're a 13-year-old girl and you've got kind of hair like this and bad skin and flat-chested, it's not really a glamorous time in your life. But I did have something really special about me that a lot of people don't know. And I know a lot of you people in this room are going to relate to this. I was in the band, right? Yeah, right? But I didn't play just any old one win. You know, no apologies to you flute players and clarinetists. I played the French horn, okay? So for those of you who don't know, a French horn is from the brass family. It's got this little, little mouthpiece and this huge bell on the end that you stick your hand in and cup it just right to get just the right sound. And in the middle, between the mouthpiece and the bell, is all this brass tubing that you got to blow through, okay? So, and it turns out, in this town outside of Boston, short, uh, French horn players were in short supply. So one day, my band director at the public school gets his call from the orchestra director at the private academy. And he said, do you have a horn player? And he says, I sure do. And from then on, every Thursday afternoon, I'd run over on the bus to the Milton Academy. Milton Academy, if you don't know, is a private boarding school for the who's who of the East Coast, for all the elite children go. And I had no business being there. I mean, the Kennedys went there, and um, James Taylor went there too, which is kind of weird, but a lot of really famous, rich people went there. But I'll tell you, the kids at the Academy, they didn't treat me badly, they didn't make fun of me, they didn't put me down for being a public school girl, but they really didn't even talk to me either. <laughs> 
So I just kind of played, but I love music, so I was happy to be there. So it's a week before our winter concert, and I run home to my mom and say, Mom, 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 I have to have something new to wear to the winter concert. She's like, okay, whatever. So off to Sears we go. So I'm looking through the racks of clothing, and I find this really cute little corduroy skirt. It's tan, it's got little pockets, and I got this long sleeve navy blue shirt, and on the front of it is this pattern of Saturn, right? The outline of Saturn with glitter. It was very cool. I was really, I really loved it. This is the 70s, so hang on. So um, the night of the concert comes up, and my mom drops me off in front of the concert hall. I run in to play with my fellow musicians to warm up, and there they are, the beautiful ones, right? The boys with their hair all slicked back, their skin bright as can be, and they're wearing tuxedos. And the girls with those beautiful blonde, long hair, it's all done up in little updos, and they've got long formal gowns on. And there I am with my Saturn. I just want to run home and crawl up into a ball and cry, but I'm a professional. The show must go on. So I went out on that stage with everybody else, and thank God I'm in the back row with all the brass players and no one can see me. We get through the first three numbers, but then the next number comes up. And this is really why I've been invited. We're playing the overture from Romeo and Juliet by Tchaikovsky. And if you don't know, there's this gorgeous, gorgeous French horn solo in it. And that's why I've been invited. The song starts. I'm a little nervous and apprehensive. I've already been humiliated by what I'm wearing, and I don't want to humiliate myself by how I play. And my solo comes, and I, I start off a little shaky. But then, you know, all that hours and hours of practice and rehearsal, I get into the moment and I start playing, and then it's over. And we put our instruments down and I start busying myself with doing what brass players do. Are any brass, any brass players in the room? So you know, right? What do you gotta do? Spit valve, right. So horns, like trumpets and trombones have these little valves at the end that they can just open up and they blow into their horn and the, the spit that you've been blowing into the horn drips out onto the floor. Okay, sounds gross, it was very acceptable. But French horns, don't have spit valves, well not the cheap school model ones anyways. So for a French horn player, you have to take off the mouthpiece, then you rotate the horn counterclockwise three times around and let the spit dribble out where the mouthpiece was onto the floor. So I'm doing all this, getting ready, I fix my music for the next song, and I look up at the conductor to take the next cue, and he's looking at me, and he's smiling at me, I smile back at him, and he's sitting, he kind of gives me a nod, and I'm like nodding back at him, and then he gives me the hand. I'm like, oh, sh you know what that means. The soloist must stand up and take her bow. And I'm like, no, I'm good, really, I'm good. I'm, I'm really good. And I, and I started fiddling with my music again, trying to ignore the whole thing. He says, no, I look up again, he's like, get up. Because we can't play the next song until I get up, take my bow and sit down again. And I'm like, oh my God. And I put my head down in defeat. And that's when I realize in my hands is the answer. I've got my French horn. And I put it in front of my Saturn. <laughs> I slowly stand up to take the acknowledgement that the crowd was supposed to give me. And I look out at this audience, and it's full of all these who's who, these parents, these alumni, these kids, and they start applauding more. And then, then, all of a sudden, there's this pitter-patter of feet on the stage floor. Does anyone know what this is? This is when musicians who have their hands full of instruments can't clap for you if you did a good job. They 
Yes, please, everyone do it. It made me so happy. Yeah, thank you. Right, that noise. And I heard that noise, and, I'm, and I look around at them, and they're not looking at me. They're just patting their feet really fast. And I'm like, oh, my God. They've accepted me. They, I'm one of them. I, I belong. They like me. They really, really like me. <laughs> and I, I have to tell you, at that very moment, it was music to my ears, right? And so at that moment, I, with that pride in me, I, I slowly lowered my French horn. <laughs> and I let those full stage lights take in my glittery Saturn and my flat but proud chest. Well, I'll tell you what, four months later, it was time for the spring concert. And I rushed home that week before. I said, Mom, 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 I have to have something special to wear. And she said, OK, we'll go to Sears. I picked out a beautiful outfit. It was a polyester brown skirt, a long sleeve shirt with little dainty blue flowers. We get to the concert. I think I'm ready to go for this one. And I walk into the hall, and there they are, the beautiful ones, the boys with their hair and you know, great little spring cuts, wearing polo shirts and khakis. And the girls are with their pretty, pretty, pretty blonde curls just down their backs with summer dresses on and little dainty sandals. And I realized then that I will never belong to this group of people, no matter what. But I always know this, we'll always have Tchaikovsky. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Tom Romberg, who shared the story of the night he met Keith Richards while working at a concert venue in Chicago in the 70s. Well, my story goes back uh, to just uh, one week before I was 21 years old. Uh, it was uh, July of 1978. And when I was 19 years old, I got the job of a lifetime. I got to be the, the catering and hospitality manager backstage for a major production company in Chicago, Illinois. This meant I got to meet all the people that were on tour back in the 70s. So. It was two types of people touring then. I mean, there were actually everybody was touring then. You had the blues guys, you had the jazz guys, you had the punk guys. I, met, I got to meet the Ramones. I got to meet the Talking Heads. I got to meet everybody. But on this particular night in July of 1978, I was going to have, I was working with Emmylou Harris. And Emmylou Harris I'd had worked with before. Emmylou Harris is a country rock singer um, who's quite popular with that veneer of uh, music. And um, Emmylou Harris, at one time, had, been the, uh, had had a lover named Graham Parsons. Graham Parsons was a, was a musician from back in the 70s uh, with the Flying Burrito Brothers and Graham Parsons himself. Uh, Graham Parsons um, had a very big substance abuse problem. And, and one of his big substance abuse friends was a Rolling Stone named Keith Richards. Now, and back in those days, People still came up to you and said, Beatles are stones. And of course, I was in the stones. I was in the stones. And the Kiefer was, of course, my idol. And, and uh, having been working three years already backstage, I'd become a little jaded and become a little, like, cool. And, you know, I was 20. And, and of course, and I knew all these people. And I'd go out and hang out with my friends back at the bar that I hung out at and tell them stories of all the people I met the, uh, that night or the night before, and they quickly got bored with these stories. But anyway, on this night, um, my boss comes up to me and he says, Tommy, Keith is coming to the concert hall. And this is a small hall of about uh, 850 uh, people, so it's a pretty intimate club. And the, um, 
And I just said, what? <laughs> and all my coolness kind of went out the door. And at, so in those days, uh, the bands would play two sets. They'd play an early set and a, and a late set. So in between the two sets, they had about an hour and a half to two hours to kill. So it was my job to keep them happy backstage and to basically get whatever they wanted or whoever they wanted. And, um, and then basically uh, just make sure the dressing was cool and the band was cool and that they would get on stage for the second set. And um, so next thing you know, it's like, when is, when is Keith coming? When is Keith coming? When is Keith coming? <laughs> and Keith's like almost like a no-show. And then all of a sudden, Keith arrives. And Tom, Mr. Cool Tom is like... Bah, 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 bah. So I finally get up the courage to say, you know, Mr. Richards, is there anything you would need or like? He looks around the dressing room and of course says, a bottle of Jack. <laughs> so I currently run downstairs to the bar and ask for, uh, and they say, well, Tommy, what does the band want? And I said, bottle of Jack. And they said, a whole bottle? And I said, it's for Mr. Richards. <laughs> so they all said, okay, no problem. So I, I trump upstairs. And I'm just kind of a fly on the wall. And that is my job. My job is to be a fly on the wall. My job is not to go, ooh, ah. You know, I love the Exile on Main Street album that you guys did. And that, you know, Sweet Virginia is one of my favorite songs. And, um, but I had known Emmylou Harris for several years uh, uh, leading up to this. And so it was very interesting that Emmylou Harris then comes up to me and she says, Tommy, come here, come here. And I go, what's this? And she goes, what are these? And she opens up her palm. She goes, Keith just gave them to me. <laughs> and I said, oh, they say Royer 714 on them. These were the, that was the initials that the Quaalude, which was basically something that if you took, it was like drinking a six pack of beer for one pill. And he'd given her two. <laughs> so I said, I don't think it's a good idea, Emmy. If you're going to take those, you're never going to make it to the stage on, uh, during the second set. So she immediately just plopped them in my hand. Meanwhile, I'm now hanging around with Keith uh, Richards' drugs in my hand. So it's like, oh my God. Now Keith in those days, he actually traveled with a, uh, with a doctor. This doctor had a bag. It was his doctor bag. And of course in the doctor bag, you can imagine what happened or what was in it. Another person in the dressing room at that time was a guy named Phil Kaufman. Phil Kaufman was the nanny to the rock and roll stars. That was his, uh, that actually was on his business card. Phil Kaufman's claim of fame was he was Graham Parsons' uh, road manager, and he was the one who stole Graham Parsons' body from LAX and drove it out to Joshua Tree National Park and buried it. This is because these were the last dying wishes of Graham Parsons before he OD'd. But to bring the story around, um, the, the, the whole night was just, I was in total awe and could hardly speak to the man who I w had worshipped my whole teenage life and my whole my 20s, and still to this day quite, uh, quite respect and worship. But that was the one evening I had with Keith Richards, and I got to be a fly on the wall. The next night was Cheech and Chong. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, at YorkStorySlam, as well as on Facebook, 
and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Our podcast is produced with support from The Beer Ace. Find them at thebeerace.com. This episode comes to you with support from this month's featured brewery partner, Lagunitas Brewing Company. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.